I was given the option to stay or go. You've suffered enough. Come with me. But behind me, much like my green screen, in my near-death experience, there were horses and donkeys. And I heard a commotion behind me, turned around, and they were all on their hind legs whinnying and, and braying, just saying, don't go, don't go. Don't you remember? There's something important you have to do. And I turned back around and I spoke to the being that revealed itself to me. Now, if you've talked to several NDEers, you know by now that we see what makes us comfortable. I was raised Methodist in, in the U.S., Christian Methodist. So for me, that comfort was a being appearing to me as Jesus. Sorry, Jesus, I'm going with them. <laughs> well, just like a flash, just snap. I was back in my body and I immediately regretted it. Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 188, I'm joined by Ginny Jablonski, human and animal soul whisperer. My friends, I hope you are ready for this conversation. Ginny has survived two near-death experiences and following her second near-death experience, she realised something quite remarkable, that she understands how past trauma is affecting the lives of humans and animals. But first, she had to go on her own journey, exploring the complexities of consciousness through the study and understanding of multiple esoteric traditions and modalities. Ginny shares what she's learned on her journey to self-awareness uh, in a language that is understandable, practical, yet highly esoteric in nature. Her greatest passion is to promote the evolution of interspecies consciousness, which allows us to deepen our bonds with our animal friends. I hope that you are sitting down and listening closely, open-hearted, open-minded. It's episode 188 with human and animal soul whisperer, Ginny Jablonski. Ginny, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Ginny, when you sent me your bio, when you first reached out to me, like I hope you know what you did because you sparked off a level of curiosity in my mind that I hope I'm able to create a, a great conversation for my listeners to be able to hear because this is just going to be me wanting to know a bunch of answers. Like, And I, and I hope I'm going to do them justice to help them understand and, and bring them on the journey. Wonderful. Well, sure. it's fantastic. So people will have um, heard me introduce this episode at the start. And I just love to know the journey to becoming a human and animal soul whisperer. Uh, my wife and I, we watched a, a TV show recently called Dope Sick. Um, and we were sat there watching it thinking, wow, this is a really good drama. Little did we know that it was a real story about an opioid crisis that in, in America in the 90s and um, I think you're part of that yes absolutely absolutely 
Well, um, I majored in economics and I was uh, an international security agent and executive protection agent for foreign diplomats on unofficial state visits. And I was five foot two, 105 pounds, and I probably should not have been doing that as a, as a career choice. And my soul kept trying to send me messages that I was not in the right career, but I never read a self-help book in my life. I never heard the word spirituality. I just had no clue that anything existed beyond you know, the reality that we are taught in school and in college, it is reinforced and validated, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing. I loved my job. I traveled. I worked with incredible men with remarkable military careers, mm -hmm. and I pushed myself. And I, you know, I was exercising every day, lifting weights, running stairs, um, trying to keep up with these incredible men. And I would work uh, 14, 16 hours a day. When you got called to go on a detail, it was a minimum commitment of three months. So that's 90 days without a day off. So I really was working myself into the ground. <laughs> and I started having some aches and pains and I just lived on Advil. It, it didn't matter to me. I thought this is normal, right? Well, eventually it got so bad that my marksmanship scores were declining. So I was a competition shooter, a speed shooter and IDPA. So in America, the International Defensive Pistol Association is an organization that is largely retired law enforcement mm -hmm. to have fun. Uh, we call it gunning and running. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just love that love sliding under things, jumping over things, mm -hmm. crawling on rooftops and, and all of that. And I was a wonderful, wonderful, accurate shooter. And I enjoyed it very much. And in fact, that's how I was discovered to go into my career was on the firing range. Mm -hmm. So um, I started to go to doctors, you know, I'm experiencing pain, fatigue, I'm not running every day anymore. What what can I do? And the doctor just wrote me a prescription for narcotics and handed it to me. And I read the prescription while it was in the air in his hand, you know, and I went, whoa, 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 no, 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 no narcotics. No, no, I carry a gun. I need to be able to work. I'm here for you to tell me what's wrong with me. And that continued for about a year yeah. until I had to medically retire. I just couldn't do it. I came home from a detail. I had been in Los Angeles, um, Florida, and Hawaii. And I came home from Hawaii with double pneumonia. I was in the hospital for three days. Two days later, the phone rang. I went back to work. So that's how I was treating my body. Yeah. So about a year after trying to get the doctors to tell me what was wrong with me, I had to medically retire. I just couldn't exercise, which meant I wasn't fit to perform my job. So I continued to go to the doctors in Beverly Hills in California. 
for seven or eight years trying to find someone who could help diagnose me and fix me so I could go back to work. And they kept putting me on all kinds of non-narcotic medication. And some of them were like low dose chemotherapy, methotrexate or gabapentin or symbol. I mean, many different types of medicines that affect you neurologically. Yeah. Um, I will say my personal experience with being on chemotherapy long-term, it just degraded my will to live. It just took my desire to be alive on the planet away from me. So around, so I medically retired in 2001 and it was around 2007 or 2008 when my doctor handed me a fentanyl lollipop. Mm. And he said, I'm done trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Here's fentanyl. This is your only hope. And that is an opioid. Yeah. And just for those who don't understand yet what fentanyl is, what opioids or are, they really are not a pain medication. It's an anesthetic. Mm. So it anesthetizes the neuropathways that are sending the signals from the sensory neurons in the body to the brain, to the motor cortex and other areas of the brain saying, hey, alert, alert, there's something wrong, pay attention, right? And when you anesthetize those pathways, the body is genius and it just keeps creating more pathways so you have to have more medication to yeah. anesthetize more pathways. That's it's crazy. not the same as building up a tolerance for a narcotic. It's a little bit different, but I really think it's important to share that up front for people that don't understand. And this is why people overdose, right? Well, it kind of plays to the kind of Western world, doesn't it? Because there's a biases towards the mind as an entity. The, you know, our our identities linked to our our mind, and 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 seeing that is oh, you know, if if we're able to use this drug to fix the mental, you know, as link between the body, but the body's still going to try and communicate with us in some way, right? Right, because. The body expresses what the brain and the consciousness have not yet processed. Right. Right. And I, I, you recently um, interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton, and yeah. I think he talked about similar. I mean, you guys had a very wide, um, very broad <laughs> conversation. It was genius, but he yeah. did touch on some of this, didn't he? Yeah. And, and this is, you know, and, and that's that was the thing that kind of blew my mind, really. It was just the when you actually look down and you go right there is a as a triad there is a heart there is a mind there is a body and you know with the heart math institute they talk about you know coherence is when the heart and the mind and the body they're all on the same page you know the, the heart feels safe the mind feels clear and the body feels at peace the body feels capable of doing all it's capable of doing um so yeah, tell us a little bit about then some of the impact of, of, of your life, because I imagine, you know, being on on those, you know, you have a family and, and there are people that you surround, you as a human being going from a job that you love to then 
I, I imagine being a different version of you. Like, what impact did that have on you? Yes. Well, I was almost bedridden. I missed a lot of the activities that as a parent, I should have participated in for my teenage daughters. Yeah. And that didn't do a lot to help our relationships along in those very formative years for my children. I was pretty much bedridden. Mm. And um my husband just was very supportive and he took care of me, but it was very difficult. Um, you know, I had gone from being someone who was very enthusiastic. I volunteered. I served on boards of nonprofits. I wrote mm. grants. I um, traveled the country, <laughs> you know, and when, yeah. prior to that, I traveled quite a bit more and yeah. to just having no purpose in life, not contributing to society in any way. And that really made me feel like I didn't have a purpose. I, I wasn't worth anything. Mm -hmm. So it, if it affects you as a person, as a personality, but it affects you emotionally it affects you psychologically you know mm. what's the next chapter where did you go from there did it get worse did it get better well four years on opioids mm. and just like it says on the insert the warning label for the medication four years later my brain forgot to tell my lungs to breathe so I experienced a series of mini strokes as well, which is why the left side of my face and my left eye drooped a little bit as well. And I had uh, a near-death experience. It was the second near-death experience I had had in my life. Mm. Um, so when I came back from that, that is when I began to really begin to perceive our reality in a very, very different way. Mm. You were recently on a, um, a near-death experience TV channel who uh, a previous guest of mine, David Ditchfield, was also a guest. And, and David had a similar story about how he had this near-death experience had an encounter with a, you know, creator type, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into your experience, and then came back with different skills, different capabilities than he had before. So I'd love to dive into your, your particular experience if you're happy to go there. Right, absolutely. So because I had two, um, I crossed the veil twice, once when I was three months old, and then once when I was roughly 46, I don't remember the exact date, um, I was able to bring back a higher frequency, much like David did his third strand of DNA. I mean, I shouldn't speak for him, but what is happening to those of us, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of us who are coming back changed in very profound ways our third strand of DNA is being activated. Hmm. And that is activating our right brain in ways that most people have not used hmm. their right brain, the creative side of the brain for millennia, for millennia on the planet. And so David was able to, to paint hmm. and then eventually even to 
create music and he's become very well known for that and it's a beautiful story mine was not as remarkable as David's in the actual experience it's what happened to me afterward but in the experience I was propelled into an in-between space where I was given the option to stay or go right you've suffered enough come with me right but behind me much like my green screen photo behind me in my near-death experience there were horses and donkeys yeah. And I heard a commotion behind me and I turned around and they were all on their hind legs, whinnying and, and braying and just saying, don't go, don't go. Don't you remember? There's something important you have to do. And I turned back around and I spoke to the being that revealed itself to me who now, if you've talked to several NDEers, mm -hmm. you know by now that we see what makes us comfortable. So I was raised Methodist in, in the U.S., Christian Methodist. So for me, that comfort was a being appearing to me as Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I turned around and I said, sorry, Jesus, I'm going with them. <laughs> and then, boom just like a flash just snap i was back in my body and i immediately regretted it because my heart had stopped and my lungs were on fire there was no air in my lungs i had I definitely had a heart attack and it felt like a 300 pound man or elephant you know just sitting on my my chest and i woke up screaming over and over and over again, 20 or 30 times at the top of my lungs, I just died, I just died, I just died, I just 20 or 30 times screaming at the top of my lungs. Hey, my friends, thank you for listening to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I hope that you're enjoying the interview. I would be really grateful if you would just take a moment to pause and just leave this podcast a review whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, I'd be grateful for you to leave a review and help more people experience our podcast and our message of heart-centered leadership. I am so grateful for you pushing play and spending time with us here at Always Better Than Yesterday. If you do go on to leave a review, please just take a screenshot, share it, tag us in at Always Better Than Yesterday UK. And when you do, I will send you a 20% off to our merchandise store as a little thank you from me to you. Here we go, back to the interview. That is, uh, so I imagine that you have a husband next to you who then hears the story about uh, being hand in hand with Jesus about to go and yet you're beckoned back by some whinnying horses and some donkeys. Uh, he must have thought you were... <laughs> he, he must, what did he think well he did now my husband um has two degrees in, in science he attended both caltech and ucla very famous schools in the in the united states right um so he is extraordinarily smart uh genius level and very sciencey and really thought i was crazy <laughs> But he loved me enough 
that if I said I wanted to live and find a way to get off of the opioids, then he supported that for me. Yep. And he, you know, whatever it takes, whatever you need, if you want to live, let's do that. And, yeah. you know, it seemed rather ironic, really, Ryan, for me to say, there's something important I have to do. Yeah. You know, at that point, I had been bedridden mm. or partially bedridden for almost 11 years. It was 2012 mm. when that happened. So I wasn't driving a car. I mean, I didn't leave the house except to go to the chiropractor or the pain medication doctor. So yeah. what important thing I might have imagined I had to do you know, there, there was no um, clarity around that. It was just a knowing <laughs> such a strong, indescribable <laughs> knowing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is what has propelled me every day since then. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because left brain, right brain, you know, the, the, the bit responsible for our language is so often not connected to the bit of our feeling. And and for you to be able to try and articulate some of these things, I, I guess, is revealed through storytelling. It's revealed through metaphors that could only scratch the surface of what you've experienced. Yes. And um, one of the things that has uh, changed for me since my near-death experience is my speech, my spontaneous speech. Mm -hmm. um, I struggle with vocabulary recall. I struggle with memory recall. Mm -hmm. I will start sentences and stop over, stutter, mm -hmm. stumble over words. So I do a lot of meditating before interviews to try to just <laughs> clear myself and yeah. to not feel you know, ashamed because I'm different now. Um, yes. Prior to my near-death experience, I was quite articulate and educated. Yes. And I'm not saying that I'm not articulate now, but it's in a completely different way. It yeah. flows through my heart. Mm. You know, it's intuition. It's, yep. it's my connection to my soul and my desire to share my journey. So it is a little different. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And 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 uh, did you touch on that you had a a, a prior near death experience? Did, did I hear you say that that was when you were three months old? And if and if so, when did you become aware that that was e even a thing? Well, following my 2012 near death experience, when I came back with just remarkable mm. psychic abilities, is the best way just to yep. be clear about it. Yep. Um, I went on an incredible journey. I mean, a very aggressive journey to understand what was happening to me. Why is it happening to me? What is all this energy I'm seeing? What are these meridians? Why are the, why is the nervous system holding on to so much trauma and everybody, the voices that I was hearing around people were the memories that were unprocessed in their nervous system. And I didn't know that for about four years. It took me four years, four or five years to realize what I was really hearing, what I was really perceiving. And so on that journey, I took a deep dive into self-awareness and self-responsibility and understanding the energy construct. I didn't, didn't just look at a picture of chakras on the wall and go, oh, yeah. the root chakra is red. You know, I totally dove into a very deep education and understanding coupled with my 
personal experience of validating that some of this is true and you know some things I found not to be true for me But on that journey, one day in about 2018, I think it was the spring of 2018, I was um, getting a massage from a woman who is an intuitive um, healer, messenger, and who also is a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. So I was laying on the massage table with my face in the cradle, and she was standing at my head with her hands on my back. So she was facing my feet, right? Mm. And she was going down my sort of in between the scapulas along my spine, which we know now is the back of the heart chakra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I spontaneously had a vision of an infant. Mm -hmm. And I said out loud, why am I seeing a baby? What is this? And I was immediately propelled into a black space, the black velvety void. And this is a very um, common style of near-death experience that people have had, but I had no exposure to the near-death community. I didn't even know what near-death experiences were until Mm -hmm. I found out that's what happened to me in 2018 and then I got involved in that community but prior to that you know I just thought I died and I had no context for it so when I went into the void I didn't see anything it was black Hmm. I just heard a voice and to me the voice sounded masculine and it was coming from everywhere and I was a part, it was just everywhere. And I was a part of the void. Mm. And my best description is that was God or creator. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't do this. Um, and I was three months old. I had whooping cough. I had been packed in ice in a tent in the hospital and I turned blue and the doctors said I probably wasn't going to make it. It didn't look good. And when I left my body, this is what happened. So I was communicating with creator, God, whatever anybody wants to call it. Mm -hmm. And I said, please don't make me do this life. It's going to be extremely difficult. I'm going to be abused, traumatized physically, emotionally, abandoned, you know, Mm -hmm. sexual abuse. It's Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Please don't make me do this. And the creator kept saying back to me there's something important you have to do. I'm going to send you back. Well, every time he said that, I got more and more hysterical. And as I lay on the table with the woman, I became increasingly hysterical, yelling out, sharing the language that I, what I was hearing and what I was thinking was coming out of me. And I was crying um, hysterically. I'm sorry, if you hear that noise, I have a puppy under my desk and he's having a dream. (laughs) Bless him. (laughs) Anyway, um, so so I I was just hysterical and the woman was crying and I could feel her tears just drip, drip, drip on the back of my head while this was happening. And, And I was, not to overstate, I mean, I was hysterical, just hysterical. So I went back 
seven or eight times with creator. And what I think is about the eighth time I said, I can't, I won't survive. Please don't make me do this. He said, I'm going to send you back, but I will make you stronger. So you'll survive. And that's what I attribute to me not dying or becoming, you know, some sort of a drug addict in my mm. early life or being derailed from the life that I did have anyway. Mm. And if that wasn't enough, I understand that there were two incidents on the freeway. Yes, they both involved the freeway. Um, around 94, I lived in Los Angeles, the west side of Los Angeles. And I was riding on the back of a friend's motorcycle, a friend of my husband, and we were tooling down the freeway, you know, 90 miles an hour in the fast lane, but, you know, we weren't going faster than the cars. That's how fast people drive in Los Angeles on the freeway. And I was holding on to him, my hands around his waist, and it felt like somebody just grabbed my, my right hand and just pulled it off. And I immediately whipped around backwards and started to fall off the motorcycle. And I had a very large helmet on my head, so I couldn't scream. And I was completely turned around facing this very large, dark sedan. And I thought to myself, yep, um, that's where I'm going to die, right there on that windshield. Wow. And my bottom was coming off of the seat, and I was midair. And what I can only describe as the invisible hand of God just came with such a force and just propelled me back onto the seat and then wrapped my right arm back around and I was able to clasp my hands. Mm. So that was the first time that happened. Mm. How'd you get and then the, on that? Like, does, is that? Was that like a, did that even happen? Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you rationalize that away? Right. And the only person I shared that with was my husband, mm. because that's kind of crazy. Right. And you would think, though, Ryan, wouldn't wouldn't you if something like that happened to you? Wouldn't you seek out a counselor? Wouldn't you go to a spiritual bookstore? Well, not me. Mm. You know, I'm pretty dense and it takes uh, it takes a lot, apparently, to get me off my spot where I'm very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and, the, and the second occasion? Yeah, so the second one, it was a roughly 1998. We had moved to the mountains outside of Los Angeles, and I was driving into Los Angeles on the freeway, driving my own SUV in the fast lane, going about 80 or 85 miles an hour. And this was a, just about the time where cell phones were getting smaller so it was easier to sort of have your own cell phone. It was just about the time when almost everybody was getting the little Nokia mm -hmm. cell phones. And um, my husband called and I answered the phone when I was driving. <laughs> you know, I had two children in daycare and a husband who was working 100 miles away. So I answered the phone. It was my husband. Mm -hmm. And um, he told me that he needed to have an operation. And I was what people describe now as a highly sensitive person, mm. right? Energetically all my life and very hypersympathetic. So if you had a cast on your elbow, I'd walk around going, oh, my elbow, oh, my elbow, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. or if somebody had a broken ankle, I'd sort of limp because 
energetically, I wasn't managing my own energy and I was yeah. very empathic, right? But I didn't understand that at the time. Mm. So when he told me he needed this specific surgery, which seemed very painful, I started to black out. In fact, I completely blacked out and the doctor called it vasal vega. So in my memory, I had my my hand and the phone to my ear and I dropped the phone and I sort of started slumping down in my seat and my vision was going away. And I woke up 20 minutes later back on the freeway about a mile at the off ramp that I had just passed in a McDonald's parking lot. And I called my husband and he said, what happened? I started driving, you know, I'm driving toward you. He was a hundred miles away in Los Angeles. He says, I'm on my, what happened? I'm, you hung up and I couldn't get, call you. I was calling you back for 10 or 15 minutes and you weren't answering. So he was driving toward me already. And I said, I think I just died. And I think I, there was a huge accident and I remember it. But when I woke up, I'm just here in a parking lot. So he did come, drive 100 miles, pick me up, drove me to our doctor, uh, who at that time was still in Los Angeles, 100 miles back to the doctor. The doctor said, oh, you're just getting older and you have vasal vega and you're just very sensitive. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with you. Just go home. So he drove me 100 miles back to my car and you know, we talked about this is the second time something really remarkable has happened. Maybe there's something important you're going to do. And so we just sort of theorized that it was that we had two remarkable daughters and I just needed to be here to raise the girls. So three months old, you have your first near-death experience. You then go on to have a couple more, your career your narcotics, you die again. And then this last time you come back and then start on this journey of making sense of it, starting to make sense of what it is that is so important that you keep getting sent back. Someone's someone's got good favor over you and they, they, they you're here for a purpose. And at what point did you start to connect that that had anything to do with animals? Well, after I went on a healing journey and I studied many different spiritual philosophies and sort of, you know, religious philosophies, just to study the context of it and how it relates to people's understanding of energy, right? Yeah. Because I was seeing energy. I was seeing, I could perceive consciousness personified. It, it, I could hear a plant talk and it would have to me a personality, mm. right? Or if I were talking maybe to a man or a woman and I was talking to their inner child, it might appear to me as a child mm. or the masculine or the feminine. So many years go by and I'm just trying everything, going down every rabbit hole, studying anything I can get my hands on. I'm hardly ever home. I, I take physical therapy so I can sit up on a plane to fly to Australia and go to Uluru, Ayers Rock by myself, mm. <laughs> you wow. know, and work with an Aboriginal woman and work with different kinds of indigenous um, shamanic practices. Mm. 
And throughout my whole journey from the very beginning, all the healers that I was going to were saying, you're a healer, you need to do this. You're bringing through remarkable information. You need to do this for a living. Mm. And I told everybody, no, because I can see energy in people. I could actually see the energy of the healers that I was going to. (laughs) And I could see that they probably a lot of them had a lot of trauma and maybe shouldn't have been doing what they were doing, which is a lot of of false prophets out there. Yeah. And I attributed that to why none of the healing that anybody was doing for me was working. And so I just, and my soul the whole time was taking me on this guided journey of my past lives. And I realized that was the important thing for me to do was become self-aware and what it means to be human. Mm. And and it's a very esoteric conversation to be sure, but that was my purpose. So around 2016, maybe 2017, finally people were really telling me you really need to do this you re- you can really help people by giving these messages because i don't really heal people per se or even animals i give them messages from their soul from their body from their consciousness the trauma and that type mm. of thing so i started working with people and within i don't know a month i had clients all over the globe belgium england mexico australia new zealand ecuador panama just everywhere and i was blown away blown away and while this was happening i was working with the people animals started coming into the session And I would say, well, do you have a little white cat? Well, I did when I was a child. So when you say coming in, do you mean like um, sensorily to you? like Telepathically and clairvoyantly, I could Mm -hmm. see it, right, and communicate with it. Or I would say, do you have a horse that's alive? Or do you have a brown dog? Oh, that's my neighbor's dog, (laughs) you know. Um, And the Mm -hmm. animals would come through and they would give loving, just loving, supportive messages, or they would ask for healing, or they would offer healing to the people. Mm -hmm. They would say, oh, I know something that's going on with this person that they're not telling you or that that they need to think about. And they would give messages through me that would help the person become more self-aware or more reflective or something like that. So one day I was meditating and, you know, this kind of a journey necessitates meditation and self-reflection, right? So I was meditating one day and I said, why are all these animals bothering me? I'm really trying to do something important here. I'm trying to help people. (laughs) These animals just keep coming in and bothering me. And this giant horse spirit showed up in my room and said don't you remember we were there in your near-death experience and we brought you back Mm -hmm. and we helped guide you on your journey to overcoming your own trauma and getting off of opioids and healing Mm -hmm. yourself and learning everything you have learned Because now it's time for you to share with the world that animals can be traumatized in the very same way 
humans can be traumatized. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not an animal communicator. Why did you pick me? <laughs> right. And um, I said, nobody knows I'm an animal communicator. I just go by word of mouth with these people. And this horse said, don't worry, we're going to take care of everything. Wow. And about a year later, less than a year later, I was woken up in the middle of the night and I was told, go to San Diego. And I thought, I'm a, no, I live in Arizona. Why would I go to San Diego? I'm going back to sleep. And a few hours later, go to San Diego. And I said, well, you're bothering me. No, who is this? What is going on? You know, why are you telling me? That? I don't know anybody in San Diego. There's no reason to go to San Diego. I'm going back to sleep. So about 5.30 in the morning, go to San Diego. Listen. I, like, oh, I am never going to get back to sleep now. Fine. So I got up and I put the kettle on for tea and I turned on my phone. And there was a fire in San Diego that had displaced a thousand horses. And about a hundred of them were really injured and traumatized. And 900 of them were being housed at a fairgrounds. I got up and packed my bags and went to San Diego. And I didn't know anybody. Mm. And I went there and I volunteered to work with the horses that were emotionally disturbed and really having problems being relocated from the fire and within about a month I had 200 new clients animal communication clients just because of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you know whatever you know people were showing videos of me working sharing in the private facebook groups about their experience with me and the messages i was giving and how accurate i was and all of that what sort so of, i um, what sort of things with those videos of showing what would how take take us to that that period of time you're 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 there you're present you're connecting with these these animals like what does that look like to the outside world like a crazy lady who thinks she can talk to horses. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, yeah. but literally, literally. Um, so some of the horses were weaving back and forth, um, just pawing at the ground and digging mm -hmm. holes. It, they're so nervous and just yeah. weaving back and forth. And they had the vets come and sedate the horses and two or three hours later, the sedation would wear off and then they would weave again, right? They would just be weaving. Well, I would just go and stand with the horse. And of course I can tell you exactly what I was doing, but it's very esoteric. And within 20 or 30 minutes, the horse would calm down and they would stay calm for six, eight, 10 hours before. It. So medication lasted two or three hours and working with me for 20 or 30 minutes lasted six or eight hours. Now, this, this is an ongoing stressful situation. They're away from home. There are 900 stressed out horses all in one very small area. So there was probably nothing I could do for any one animal to be a permanent fix. 
with regard to extreme stress in that situation, there were some animals who had other messages or other smaller things like they wouldn't get on a trailer or something like that, or just had an issue from the past and they weren't particularly upset about what was going on now. So I was able to help with those sorts of things. Um, but I actually met one of my very best friends now uh, that way, he recently passed away, but he was a, an extraordinary horseman, very well known, had a long, wonderful, celebrated career in horses, and he was extraordinarily intelligent. Mm. And when he heard about me, he thought it was a farce, and he didn't believe at <laughs> all in animal communication. And he posted some very unfortunate, very unkind things about me. And I saw the post and he, in fact, do you remember when Johnny Carson used to, this is a, a United States show, but you know who Johnny Carson is. And he had this one skit where he would put on this sort of gypsy turban and he would call himself Karnak the Magnificent and he would have a card. Well, this man who eventually became one of my best friends and most staunch supporters, mm -hmm. he was making fun of me in that way. So I contacted him and I said, hey, you know, I just want to talk to you. And he invited me to his ranch and I helped three of his horses over lifelong issues and completely turned him around. Mm. So. Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our heart print coaching is for you if you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart-centered leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance, and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that will change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love? Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday? In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. It's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your life languages profile, uh, access to our Master Heart and Mind membership, and even some Always Better Than Yesterday merchandise. Head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk forward slash coaching. Here we go. Back to the interview. I wouldn't have had the capacity for this conversation. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have been curious, but I wouldn't have... And, and I think there's something, you know, when I became a man of faith just three and a half years ago and I opened myself to being a spiritual being, having a human experience, that I then started to see the life force energy within me was also in animals and was also in nature. 
and uh, I was laughing a minute ago because I was remembering some. I was driving up the the motorway, the freeway here in England, and I was I was just listening to this like this worship type music, just hypnotic. And then I see this blackbird fly across the horizon, and everything slowed down. And my it's almost like my mind zoomed into his little rib cage, and I could see his little heartbeat. And that was it, just a fleeting moment. And I just was, I, I felt at one with this blackbird. It was the most surreal experience. And um, so that's how I can entertain this conversation because I'm so curious. And, and um, you know, I, I think for you as someone that is very perceptive, is that something that you have control over? Is it is it always on? Do you have to wait for an invite to reveal what you're seeing? Like how do you how do you rush like how do you deal with that? Well, if you would have asked me that question just a year or two after my NDE, I would have answered it very differently. Mm. And so I need to be honest in that in the beginning. I thought I was crazy. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I had no context. And I had all of these psychic senses turned on full volume, with no boundaries, with no conscious control, with no instruction manual. And so mm. I just knew stuff. I knew when people were going to die, why they were going to die, if they had what kind of cancer and what, you know, I knew things you, you know, people wouldn't want me to know. They would be embarrassed for if I knew, you know, one time I was driving down the street with my husband and I said to my husband, that man is cheating on his wife, <laughs> you know, and so that's not, I don't enjoy having that information about other people and other people I'm certain do not enjoy having people like me have that type of information so I went on a journey not only to understand but to control to be to my intention is to use it ethically responsibly to have boundaries to be able to control it to be able to as you say turn it on and off mm. so now um 99 of the time I need to be invited I must mm. be invited However, from time to time, an animal or a person's soul, it maybe only happens three, four, five times a year, but sometimes an animal or a person will come to me and wake me up in the middle of the night. If they are gravely ill, if they're going to die, if they want to say goodbye to a loved one, if they're having an extreme experience, a health concern, and the human is, is just not aware of it. Um, I can approach the person and say, it's always somebody I know, almost always. One time it wasn't. Mm. Um, and I can say, I did receive a message. It's my job. I feel ethically responsible to let you know that I received a message. Would you like to receive it? If you would, I would be happy to share it with you in the most responsible way possible. So. Wow what a gift and what a responsibility and um do you do you find yourself with every year that goes by you gaining more and more trust in your new abilities i have to tell you i had 100% faith from the beginning mm. and and i don't think i to be honest i don't think i've ever been wrong now mm -hmm. there are some things that cannot be proven yeah. obviously there are some esoteric 
things that you just cannot in this life prove. And I acknowledge that. When you say esoteric, what do you mean? Well, for example, uh, if somebody's receiving information about a parallel or a past life or or Mm -hmm. something like that, or if I perceive something in the energy field and it is released, Mm -hmm. can I prove it? No. But when there is a demonstrable, profound shift in someone's consciousness, in someone's health, in someone's relationship to another person or animal, that's the validation. You know, for example, if somebody had pain in their knee for 50 years, and then we just had one conversation for 20 minutes and the pain went away and never came back, it's Mm. probably because we had the conversation, Mm. (laughs) right? You talk about interspecies consciousness. Do you believe that it's something that people can learn to do or you you think that actually or you know what what is your hope for this relationship between species yes actually i'm starting a podcast called interspecies evolution right and i would love to have you come on talk about your experience with the bird (laughs) here's a short one it'd be a short episode (laughs) (laughs) well that's okay you know there's a lot of other things i think that um there are so many people now who are more willing to have these conversations than ever before i'm so grateful about that but to me number one to specifically answer your question i think that we can all remember that we all have the ability can it be taught Mm. i the jury's out for me i i know there are a lot of people who will take money and say they can teach you But I think we all have the ability and that we just need or have the opportunity Mm. to remember that we can. Now, you're working on the frequencies of the heart and the electromagnetic field of the heart. Are you you familiar with the work of the HeartMath Institute? Yes, I'm a certified facilitator. Right. Amazing. So I so I had Dr. Deborah Rosman on. And so I'm aware of that kind of research. And in their book, they talk about how um, the young boy sends out loving intentions towards the dog and they start to um, that the the two heartbeats start to show some coherence. So I was aware of that. And at the back end of last year, my little Jack Russell dog went missing. She wasn't with us. Different part of town. She was missing for eight hours without a collar. It was dark middle of winter. And a friend of mine randomly found me in a field looking and he just prayed over me, said that he hoped that I would be the beacon that brings Sage home. Sage is my little dog. So I I had that constant faith of I will be the beacon that brings her home. And I'm constantly just trying to send out messages into the field. Let me, you know, reveal yourself. It's time to go home. It's safe. You must, you know, I'm trying to just talk to her and communicate to both, both, both with my voice and also my intentions and my emotions, whatever that means. I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm sending it out because I, I believe it. I'm sending it out, right? Um, eight hours and I just end up pursuing an alternate path. The crowd seemed to be going in one way. I'm off another way. I can't tell you why. I'm just like, I'm going this way. I'm normally good in a crisis. On this day, I just needed to be by myself. Mm. I wasn't going to tell anybody to do anything. I wasn't going to tell anybody where to go. I'm going to keep myself to myself. And um, 
I end up walking down this random lane. It's not random, you know, but it, it, it for all intents and purposes, it appeared random, middle of nowhere. And um, I get to this almost the end of the lane. I can see the cars going, I think, getting started a bit, getting a bit um, downhearted, thinking I don't know where else to look. And all of a sudden, there's this little rustle in the bush to the left of me. And I put my light down. And my dog, she's only about this big. She's a meter and a half in the hedgerow. And she comes out. And she literally waited till I was stood right in front of her. And, like, like for me, it's just, like, I have a bond with this little thing. Like, I have such a bond. And, like, and, and, and my family, we, 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 we just... Yeah, we we've chosen to believe that that was God showing us how incredibly important this little being is to our family and how much like she's provided so much healing and restoration to our family. And it's and it's crazy, isn't it? I for me, I, I choose to believe and that gives me a lot of um hope and, and belief. And if I may say, from my perspective, God showing you that you have the ability to communicate through your thoughts, through your heart, through your loving intention to your dog, and that you followed your inner guidance. You followed your, the, your soul. And yet I don't have the words for it. Obviously, I've told you a short story, but in terms of why I went that way, I don't know. Right. You know, in, in terms of why I took the route I took, can't tell you. Right. My um, so I put out to my community that I was having this conversation with you, and my friend Abby would like to know what do you see when you look in the eyes of a horse? When I look into the eyes, mm. hmm. Well, the Taoists believe that we can perceive through the eyes of humans or animals, uh, Shen spirit, mm -hmm. and they identify spirit as having five um different um I don't, I, you know they place it in five categories mm. right um i don't perceive that way um through the physical eyes yeah. so i don't perceive in a in a in a Taoist uh perspective um is, is, it, is it true that horses are good calming influences for for autistic people with autistic children yes is that, is that a thing why why might horses have that superpower well two things if i might go back i wanted to actually say three things oh, i wanted yeah, to respond ahead. so your story about your dog and the heart math mm -hmm. so on my website is a free uh little um exercise that i call pink pillows of love mm -hmm. it's very similar to a heart math process and people have written wonderful testimonials on my website about having behavior changes in their animal through just breathing grounding going into the heart space and radiating love and so i call mm -hmm. that the pink pillows of love exercise the mm -hmm. second thing i wanted to say with respect to the eyes is that uh, metaphysical people will say that the eyes are the window to the soul. Mm -hmm. So our eyes, our brain, and our spinal column are all one unit. And I believe, perceive that our soul enters the body through that mm -hmm. nervous system. Mm -hmm. 
And so some people can energetically, esoterically tap in that way. You know, I, I don't do that. When I look at a being, I see the physical body, I see the nervous system, I'll see the meridians, I'll see the chakras, I'll, you know, I'll see the subtle bodies in the energy field. And then the third thing, um, this the question, which is a wonderful question about, it's not only autistic people that can benefit from being around horses. Now, I have a bit of a different perspective than I would say mainstream, mm -hmm. the mainstream, which is an alternative <laughs> um, opinion anyway. So I'm a little bit left of that. Um, scientifically, horses have a larger heart than we have. So they generate a larger electromagnetic field than we do. Mm. So it is easier for us to come into coherence with their heart rhythm. Wow. And a coherent heart rhythm has less heart rate variability, as, as you know, Ryan. Yeah, which so, is when I said earlier on their, their head, the heart, and the nervous system all regulated all in that fully functional right. capacity right so we're so i agree scientifically with that scientific perspective which has been proven by like six or eight hundred peer-reviewed you know research papers right mm -hmm. where i go beyond that is from my perspective when we can get our heart into a coherent heart rhythm when we are sharing space with a horse or even another animal, but a horse is a wonderful um, description. Um, we then calm ourselves down and open our heart mm. to the intuitive guidance that you were following when you went out to find your little dog. Mm. So when our heart is erratic and incoherent, when we have trauma or sadness or fear that prevents, in my opinion, in my perspective, prevents us from really connecting into that internal guidance within us. But when we are standing in the electromagnetic field of the horse, yeah. it overrides, it allows us to come into a coherent rhythm, yeah. thus allowing us to hear our own guidance. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, a lot of people attribute that to some sort of miraculous healing ability of the horse, right? My perspective is that no, it's actually us. We have that ability. We can follow our internal guidance the way you did, Ryan. We have that available to us, all of us, but most of us don't have a coherent heart rhythm. Most of us have extreme heart rate variability. So that's that's my perspective. I love that perspective. Um, Gabo Marte talks about um, trauma being when it's so difficult to be ourselves so healing trauma is about you know seeing us for who we truly are and, and coming back to ourselves and you talk about coming back to this world with a gift of of healing animal trauma how do you make an animal feel seen and heard that's very esoteric and it happens on the telepathic non-physical level. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Dr. Mate also says is trauma 
is what happens inside of us. Mm. It's not what happens to us per se. Yeah. It's what happens inside of us. And that's the consciousness that I perceive, Ryan. I am able to perceive that in the nervous system of people and animals. So the way I work with the animal is I communicate telepathically. And I will say, much like was offered to you by the bird, okay? I will say to the horse, I have a golden light inside of me. When you look at me, what do you see? And they'll say, oh, I, you know, I see pink or I see gold. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, look at my heart. Do you see do you see the light in my heart? And I think a lot of people in the metaphysical community, even in those sort of nexus between science and spirituality, they yeah. talk about the seat of the soul and this golden light. Some people say it's below the heart, next to the heart, but you know, it doesn't matter. It's near the heart, right? So what I will do is I will, and this is the same way I work with children. I will begin to breathe and ground. Mm. And focus on my heart and think about, you know, something that I'm grateful for, like my puppies or my horses that mm. bring me a lot of joy. Mm. And then my heart, I call it expanding the heart light, right? So my light will grow and I will yeah. say, now, what do you see? And the horse or the dog you know, or the cat will say, oh, it, it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. Or the child, right? It's getting bigger. And then I will say, you have this too look inside yourself because animals have psychic abilities as well and they can perceive themselves and um so you know the tool to communicate with dogs that is getting so popular now on instagram and youtube called fluent pet the buttons right you, right you know no, but i gotta have a look oh you have you have to you might want to research the woman that really made it um very well known. She's actually a research scientist at UC San Diego. <laughs> so she's not just some random, you know, person, she's an educated person who is trying to prove and work with the cognition uh, of animals. So the way I work with children and animals is to say, can you see your own light? And then if they can't, I will sort of take my finger, which is about as aggressive as I get with energy healing. You know, I sort of energetically take my finger and I just touch that little, mm. whatever is there that is covering it up, whatever trauma, whatever emotion is, is heavy on the heart that is preventing them from seeing their own magnificence, their own golden light. I will just take my finger and just mm. sort of melt that away a little and then their golden light will begin to shine. So when I begin to help them understand that they are just like me, and when you get into watching this dog, she's, um, I think she's a sheep-a-doodle, so some sort of a, a um, like a, an English sheepdog mm. and a poodle combination. So she's gray and white. Her name is Bunny. She began after two years of doing the process to ask existential questions. Why am I a dog in the mirror? Is that me? Why do I look like that? Why am I a dog? So I think you'll find it very fascinating. 
I interviewed a guy called Dr. John Amaral. He he does a lot of uh, energy work with humans, and uh, he was the energy guy for D- Tony Robbins. And um, on his kind of videos, I would see him doing almost like this stuff over the top of bodies, and they were just moving in ways that you just and he's not even touching them. And I, so, I I think sometimes it's just like I'm surrendering the need to know how. Mm-hmm. And I can look at or in awe and wonder at the gifts that people like yourself and Dr. John have in the world without needing to know specifically how. And if I don't know how, it doesn't mean to say that it doesn't exist. Like, because, you know, I think uh, greater blessings belong to those who believe without seeing. Mm-hmm. But you are showing, you are showing that it's fully possible, fully capable. And do you know, and I, I think I've seen far too many Disney films where like animals take on like human personalities and voices, and and I'm I'm half ex- uh, I'm I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking you're communicating with an animal, and, and is there a moment where they're like, "What? You can hear me? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like someone finally understands me?" Yes, that happens. I've actually had a horse tell me that he didn't believe in animal communication, and I said. Right but you're talking to me right now. But he had been around so many humans who thought it was bollocks, you you know, um, who, you know, in these high-end barns where people are very sciencey and foundational horsemen and really most, for the most part, I don't mean to offend anybody, but for the most part, you know, don't believe in animal communication because horses are tools. They don't see them as sentient beings. And this is, he was in a, he was owned by a very wealthy person in Texas who was a national uh, rodeo champion. And so he said, oh, you know, no, none of the humans I know believe in this. How can this be true? And so um, he said it in a very funny way. I actually wrote a blog. And so I kind of laughed out loud and I thought, oh, wow, this lady's taking a real chance on me. Now she's going to think I'm crazy because I'm hysterically laughing at her horse. But um, eventually I did convince him and we made some wonderful progress. It's funny how like there's a universal language. And, and I guess, you know, someone that would be observing this first, oh, do they neigh at you? Like, do they, do they whinny at you? And I guess it's, it's your, I guess if I try and get my head around this, is this your third eye being able to read the frequencies and energy waves that are created through that communication so that you're able to receive it in a way that you can make sense of it rather than the way that it's communicated? Well, depending upon our level of consciousness, we all communicate in different ways. Sure. Usually, um, and it's it really is different for almost everybody, but there's something called a transmediumship space in the back of the throat chakra and the ears. So hearing actually comes in through the throat chakra, mm-hmm. our, our um, clear audience, right? clairvoyance is generally speaking the third eye Mm -hmm. and the claircognizance the knowing is the crown chakra the pineal gland um, which does interpret the information Mm. but channeling and a lot of communication does go through the back of the throat chakra the the ears in the what's called the transmediumship space and it really depends on both of the beings communicating to one another 
So when I speak with horses, for example, sometimes I see colors, sometimes I feel emotions, sometimes I get a dissertation of multiple paragraphs, and sometimes I get mm. pictures and a few words. So it depends on the unique individual animal as to how much they have developed their own uh, psychic abilities as to how they communicate. So I generally receive at a level that the other person is able to communicate. But it is very possible that all language, all communication, there is a, a, a metaphysical belief that our thoughts create pictures in our mind mm. and those pictures are shared with the animals or even other people. Mm. But when we communicate at the higher self level, which is the eighth chakra above the head, that is the universal language of symbol. And so it doesn't matter what language we speak, the universal language between the higher selves sharing information and then providing it to us comes in through symbol and then we each interpret that symbol hmm. and i know that might be a little deeper than you wanted no, to go that. but no, it's, exactly it's not fair say. it's not fair i don't think to oversimplify because no, too many people are quick to oversimplify I love that. And uh, one of my favorite leadership books is by a guy called Bob Berg. He wrote the Go-Giver series of books. And in it, one of the principles he talks about as, as a leader is to learn to listen with the back of your neck. And I don't think he know what he was talking about, like because when you just talked about the back of the throat chakra, mm -hmm. what he was talking about is listening so intently that, you know, when you just get your hairs in the back of your neck go up and you something's not quite as it seems, it's learning to tap into that. And I guess what he's doing is he's talking a little bit about the stuff that you've just given a whole new depth and perspective to that he didn't even realize was was true. Right. That's fascinating. Right. That's fascinating. Well, when you think about it, the back of your neck is your spinal cord, your cervical spinal cord and your brainstem, right? And the soul is giving us, just like our soul will give us butterflies in our stomach, our soul communicates, in my opinion, in my perspective, through our nervous system so. yeah dr bruce one of my favorite things that he said to me uh was uh nature has a way of letting us know we're in the right place doing the right thing with the right people and that nature's mechanisms do that is through our through our our nervous system i'm really grateful for your time really grateful for the way that you you serve and i, and I think i'd love to just finish off our conversation by starting to get a bit more serious about some of the implications then of, of some of your things, because if we are, you know, because my background's in policing, policing, um, you know, policing sees dogs as property, for example, you know, rather than like you say, sentient mm -hmm. beings. So with that, with your perspective and revelation that, you know, these are innocent souls, they all have souls, sentient beings, that can that can um, experience trauma. How should we, as heart-centered leaders, be more of an example and be more of a compassionate to to all of God's creations? Mm. Well, you're going to make me cry, or you did make me cry. Well, I think, and this is just my perception. I think they have it right in England. 
right? The Bobbies don't carry weapons. Mm -hmm. They are armed with a level of understanding of human psychology and communication and de-escalation and reading the face and the body language. And mm -hmm. they have so many more tools available to them mm -hmm. than American police with a sidearm and a stun gun. Mm. They could add breathwork and meditation would be my next suggestion, but yeah, I hear you. Now that I think from, from my job and your job, I would like to say for those of us who have these types of uh, stressful jobs, emergency responders, firemen, mm -hmm. police, doing this type of work, grounding, breathing, self-awareness, meditation, learning more, becoming more self-aware, that can help us to, on a daily basis, release the trauma that we are perceiving in the world around us. Because we as humans and animals, Ryan, you know this is true. This is a scientific fact. You should get Dr. Lipton back and talk just about this for an hour. We have something called mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. And mirror neurons mirror the trauma that we are perceiving outside of us and our body our intellect can tell the difference that happened to my girlfriend that happened mm -hmm. to my child but our body does not know the difference mm -hmm. we felt it and it happened to us so we are like sponges our nervous system is perceiving the trauma we are outwardly perceiving in the world that is happening around us yeah. and the best thing we can do as civil servants as emergency responders is to learn some type of very uh, effective yoga tai chi qigong breath work and become more self-aware 100 percent, ryan mm. Hmm. You contributed to a book that was titled Animal Prints on Our Soul, I believe. And um, I have a word here, always better than yesterday, it's called heartprint. And the, the word I use heartprint for is to describe the legacy of our heart-centered interactions. I just love to understand what you believe your heartprint is. On the world or just for me? What is the legacy of your gifts, your talent, your heart-centered leadership? I believe that I went on the journey that I went on to help all of us remember that we have been lied to hmm. by science, by math, by physics, by a lot of medical science, hmm. and that we are much, much more than we believe ourselves to be. And that if we only open our hearts and we only use breath work or some type of movement, have a more positive relationship with our body, we can all remember the truth of who as humans we truly are. To become more self-aware, to understand our humanness, and our humanness is not limited to pride, to ego, to prejudice, 
to politics, mm. to I'm right and you're wrong and my God is better than yours. We are so much more. We are all souls incarnate in physical bodies. And we came here for a reason. God sent us here for a reason. God sent me back. Twice. For a reason. Mm. And the reason is that we don't need to suffer as mm. much as we are suffering. Mm. Powerful. Thank you so much for your testimony. Thank you so much for the wonderful things that you do in the world. And uh, I can tell how much it means. I can tell how much it means. And um, you know, what do you do for yourself? Like, how do you like, it, it can be hard. It can be, it can weigh down on you. You see perceiving the trauma of, of, of not only traumatized human beings, but animals as well. You, you've just added another several billion creatures worth of, uh, you know, people that you could help. But, uh, you know, how do you look after yourself? Well, I live on a ranch. I have four horses, four donkeys and three dogs, <laughs> um, a husband that loves me. I don't do five or six clients a day. I never do more than three clients a day. I space them out. I manage my own energy. I, um, I have a wonderful relationship with my husband and, and my children, which, as I mentioned earlier, you know, wasn't always um, so great. Um, but over the years, through my own healing, that has improved. Um, I, I, I do yoga. I, I eat healthy. Um, my perception of healthy, I, you know, I take a, a, a few supplements. Um, I move my body and I talk to other people. I communicate about this. I share my truth and I surround myself with curious people who are on a journey and who are willing to begin to open up to these types of concepts as well. I love that. How can people connect with you and follow your journey? Heartofthehorse.us. Heartofthehorse.us. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your impact. I'd be honored if you'd leave us a final thought from your good self. Well, Ryan, my thought is for you. <laughs> it's tremendous gratitude for, for what you do. This podcast has touched so many people. You have such a wonderful uh, variety, uh, you know, helpful people. And I want to thank you and honor you for being willing to have this very esoteric conversation. Very kind of you, my friend. Thank you so much. All righty. Bye-bye. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. 
I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.